young Tell us everything you wanna be Yin Yang Share with us all of your dreams Yin and Yang Welcome back. It's uh, Yin and Young, the podcast. Um, this is James, aka uh, Young, and then there's uh, Daniel, aka Yin. All right, and then we are here with our special guest today, Judy Lay. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Judy, you want to say hi real quick? Hey, everyone. I'm Judy. Welcome to the Yin and Young podcast. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and. Um, yeah, she's calling from New York. Sorry to keep you up so late. Um, we yeah, we we'll record for about an hour and then you know just uh, basically fairly free form. Um, we talk about what. So let me let me let me introduce Judy real quick and how I met her. Um, so okay, it starts off with Coachella. So <laughs> <laughs> um, um, okay, on a on a 2017, James goes to Coachella. And uh, we book. I book an Airbnb with my homie uh, from Milpitas, and then he brought some friends. And uh, the you know, and I, I got uh, on. We we would carpool to Coachella, and one of those friends was Mindy and um, and Hazel, and uh, they're mutual friends of Judy's. And when I mentioned to them like, hey, I'm also doing screenwriting. I'm also in the arts. I've done some acting before. Uh, they were like, oh, Mindy was especially was like, when she heard that, she's like, oh, you have to, have to meet my friend, Judy Lay. Okay? I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. And then, you, you know Mindy, right? She's like super, like, over-enthusiastic, which is great, right? She's like, you have to. She's like, she's like, meet her. You got to meet her. And then I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, make the, make the connection. And we, we got connected. And what was crazy was the next weekend, like, I... I Judy had a one-woman show the next weekend in uh, L.A. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll go, yeah, I'll go check it out. And, um, and I, uh, Mindy, sent, Mindy and Hazel both sent me the link. And then um, and uh, I looked at it, and I was like, damn, 30 bucks? What's going on? And then um, <laughs> I was like, this girl is hustling. This girl's hustling, right? But then I was like, oh, damn, there's a coupon code. Okay, so there's a coupon code for $10 off. So $20, okay, I, I, I can get by it. And I want to support Asian American artists, you know. So I, you know, I, what's up? I love you, James. Oh, thank you, thank you. So I went to go watch the show. And I even brought a friend. I brought two friends. Uh, I brought a friend, and that friend brought a friend, and they all we all paid, you know. So um, and uh, which was you know to help support. And then yeah, I saw a show, and it was just like wow. Like after I saw the show, I said to myself like, this store like her story is is really important. Like it's funny, it's sad, it's vulnerable. And uh, it would it would like it make a good you know it make a good story like in, in on it could be a podcast it could be on it could be like like the format it is in now is great the theater um, but definitely uh, I just said to myself oh I definitely want to meet 
talk to this uh, talk to this uh, lady to, and and you know figure yeah what's her deal you know and uh, so yeah yeah <laughs> she turns out to be crazy and she turns out <laughs> to be crazy and then yeah anyways so that's and then so I met her I met Judy after the show we talked real quick and I said hey you you know you should be on our podcast and she was very gracious uh, very gracious very humble and um, yeah and guess what like. Like no joke, there were some hard hitters that came out too, like uh, from the LA Asian American scene that came out to see your show. We got you know you got your Jake Cho, uh, Choi, you got your Cindy Chu. Like these these are like you know actors that fairly well known actors in the Asian American community coming out to support, and that's that's great. I think uh, Asian American artists support other Asian American artists. Like you know that's what we gotta do, right? So, um, anyways, uh, that's my brief intro. Um, yeah, uh, Judy, did I miss anything or? That was great. That was great, James. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, let's let's get in. Dan, did you have any questions before I, before I start? I guess yeah. Well, I think once we get started, we'll have all those questions. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so first off, uh, Judy, can you give like um, a brief intro of yourself, like where you're from, where you grew up, all that? Yeah. Uh, so I am from now renamed Cypress Hills. It's on the JMZ line a little bit north of East New York. Uh So as a kid, I will always claim that I'm from East New York just to scare everyone. (laughs) Because East New York is known to be a little hood. And so I am from Brooklyn. I lived in that part of Brooklyn for about four years of my life. And... When I was a child, my parents, they worked in Chinatown, so, oh, that was my clock ticking. That's midnight here in New York. Wow, midnight. Um, So, (laughs) crazy. Um, So, I was four years old and living in Brooklyn, and by the time I had to go to pre-K, my parents were like, "Uh, it's kind of dangerous in this part of Brooklyn, so let's just move to another part of Brooklyn, Sunset Park. Brooklyn which has Chinese people and they're like oh yeah let's do that and by the time we moved to Sunset Park we realized that my father did not do enough research and we ended up in the Puerto Rican part of Sunset Park and it was still (laughs) a little bit dicey in the 90s and so we were living there and my parents were like you cannot go to school in Brooklyn and so they borrowed my grandma's address and I pretty much went to school, like elementary, pre-K, middle school, and high school in Chinatown because in New York City, you kind of have to go to school where you live, sort of, at at least in pre-K and elementary school. And in middle school and high school, it really depends on your grades and test scores. And that's a whole nother story of its own. And that's pretty much what my solo show, The World's Greatest, was all about, me fucking up and all that uh, shit yes yeah yeah so dan oh uh, sorry no 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 you can we can cuss we have the e we have the e on the um on itunes the explicit yeah 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 um okay yeah yeah and then hopefully hopefully mindy and Hayes are okay if we drop their names so i'll ask them oh, later <laughs> I'm, I'm messing up all our guidelines dan i'm sorry um yeah anyways <laughs> anyways maybe it's not their real name mm, mm. oh oh, oh. Yeah, <laughs> Um, so let me, let me talk a little bit about like, okay, so when you say Chinatown, New York, uh, so my experience with Chinatown, uh, is, is San Francisco Chinatown, like one of the biggest in the, in the U S 
um, you've got the hills, you've got like kind of catering to this. So um, now may I ask, uh, and this this might be like giving away your your your, uh, your age a bit, but like uh, what is this in the 90s or what's up? Like K through 12, is this 90s for you or? Uh, I would say 90s all through until mid 2000s. Okay. Yeah. If only you're only if you're comfortable sharing that. I mean, like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm totally cool. I'm I'm turning 28 soon, so oh. who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm 32 and Dan's older than me, so I'm like, yeah, there you go. Yeah, much. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one thing I was gonna ask is like, um. So what's up with uh, New York Chinatown? Like, is it so? So SF Chinatown? Okay, there's some shady parts. Like, there's some parts that um, you know, maybe are not the safest at two a.m. But like, mm -hmm. that's as you know. But there's like some parts that are pretty safe. I mean, there were like Chinese gangsters, like the you know in in, in San Francisco Chinatown. Um, it's kind of calmed down now, but. I'm, there's still the t there's still like certain associations. I mean, so what's up with New York Chinatown is, is my question, I guess. Yeah, growing up in the '90s to mid 2000s. Yeah. Well, I would say even when as I was growing up, it got cleaned up a lot already because gangs in New York City was really prominent in the 70s and 80s. And by the time 90s rolled around, um, Mayor Giuliani, he was notorious on being tough on crime. And so he locked up all the gangsters. And when I was growing up there, there wasn't, it wasn't too bad. It was just a bunch of Chinese people who were living there from Toysan. And my generation of kids, they consider themselves as gangsters. There's just gangsters. <laughs> <laughs> like they fight each there's other, wangsters. but it was it was so it was not as bloody as it was in the seventies or eighties. So I would I wouldn't even okay. consider them gangsters. Like they didn't they didn't extort businesses for money and yeah, that, that shit never flew when I was growing up. So I think it was pretty safe and calm as I was growing up. It was just that kids were just acting acting badass. If that makes sense, like they right, want to do that. So that bad. makes sense, like kind of fronting, yeah. I guess. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, they just want to be. They just want to be known as gangster, like just to be cool, you know. And I know black or Latino kids try to pick up shit with us, and we would just fight back. And that's the most that would happen. But I don't. I really don't see gangs, real gangster shit coming down, you know. Okay, so just real quick, like your background is Cantonese American, Chinese Cantonese American. Yes, I'm Cantonese. Uh, my mom's from Hong Kong, and my dad's from Toisan. Oh, Toisan. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. I I don't I don't speak Toisan, but I I understand it, and yeah, I I, I can speak Cantonese fluently. So yeah, oh, awesome. And city the chinatowns are so big so um i guess manhattan's chinatowns the og where um that's where people settled and then i think as real estate got more expensive a lot of cantonese people got pushed out into 8th ave in brooklyn in sunset park brooklyn and then now 8th ave is getting like infiltrated with a lot of fujinese people so cantonese people are moving into bensonhurst bath beach sheepshed bay and so they're it's expanding to like ginormous 
part and then in Flushing there's like Taiwanese and also Koreans and that's a part of Queens and Elmhurst also has a lot of Cantonese people so Chinatown in New York City means many many different parts of the it's, <laughs> it's so big it's crazy that's crazy. It's interesting. It's like each section has its own kind of Asian. Is basically like what you just mapped out. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, so and your your family is uh, your family was in the Cantonese part. I'm assuming in um, what is that down? It's like it's the southern part of the Manhattan. Island? Yes, yes. Uh, it's they're still in yeah. the main part. Well, my uncles are still in the main part on Ludlow Street, and our family business is on Grand Street. And Bayard Street, so Grand it's Street. in the main part of Chinatown. Dude, I think every Chinatown has like a Grand and the Grant Street, or like <laughs> a uh, there's a, there's always like a or there's um uh, I don't know. Do you guys have a Waverly or no? no? We don't. And, oh, we yeah. have Waverly Place. Yeah. That's near NYU, but that's Chinatown. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, we have a Waverly in our in SF Chinatown. Um, I haven't. I've been to the L.A. Chinatown. I'm in L.A. right now, so I've been to L.A. Chinatown a couple of times, and uh, yeah, it's 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 you know it's not as big as it's not as expansive as SF one, but um, yeah. Did you did you get to visit the uh, the L.A. Chinatown at all when you, while you're yeah, here? a little sketchy. <laughs> it's a little sketch, huh? Right? Yeah, yeah. It was okay. It was very touristy. Sort of. Uh, they they sell a yeah. lot of luggages and keychains and T-shirts. And I just felt like it was so dead. Yeah, uh, yeah. It picks up like at like it, people go there to kind of like do the clubbing, I guess, or like late night dancing. There's and, clubs? But there's you know, clubs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. There aren't many. Yeah. There are like I don't know. Have many. you gone and, and done the night scene in, in Chinatown, James? Yeah, I've been there for like New Year's. So to like, the Dizzy uh, Star. Like the, is it what it's called? There's like the 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 Louis, the whatever, the top Louis Hop or something, Louis. and then yeah, Hop Louis, and then there's a that's more like a bar spot, um, and then there's like the yeah the Star one, Grand Star, and yeah, that's spot basically near that Bruce Lee statue, right. um, that that area, yeah yeah, but like um so like what I was gonna ask was um. So cool. So Chinatown, for, but Chinatown, New York was fairly cleaned up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so you grew up in a mostly, now, you grew up in a mostly uh, Cantonese neighborhood, but you also, but you said you you grew up with Puerto Ricans, Blacks as well. Oh, so this is the funny like, part. Wh- all my neighbors, so I lived in Brooklyn all my life. And I went yeah, to right, right, schools right. in Chinatown for the most part. So... In my neighborhood, I pretty much grew up with like Puerto Rican kids, but then in school, I would grow up with Chinese kids in elementary school and middle school. And it wasn't until yeah. high school that I went to school with like black and Latino and Spanish kids. Yeah. Mm. You, have you ever you ever been back to Asia at all, or you 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 spent all your time here in the U.S.? I went to Hong Kong when I was, let me think, let me think. I think two or three years old, and then when oh. I graduated elementary school, I went back to Hong Kong and Hoi San. 
Yeah, so I, I, I visited cool. when I was really, really young and then also when I was a little bit more knowledgeable or sensible of what's really going on around me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Dan, did you, did, Dan, did you have anything? Did, did you go to college? Like, yeah, I, I went to college. I went to Smith College in Northampton, Massachusetts. That's where I met Hazel, Hazel and Mindy. Right. The the names that may or may not be real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was the first time um, I left the city. So yeah. what's Smith College All like? Right. Oh my it was such a change of scene. I, I think it was definitely a culture shock for me because I grew up colored like white white people? Yeah, it what? was the first time I saw white people. I mean it's, <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously no, I'm for real. Okay, this is crazy. I okay. I went to elementary school. There was probably one Polish kid in my elementary school, and then when I was in middle school, there was one Puerto Rican kid and one Dominican kid, and then in high school, I finally met one white person. He was like a skateboard head that led everyone, and then everyone else was a colored person, quote unquote. And when I went to Smith, I was like, wait, 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 why is he gotta be the leader? What's going on with that? Shit. It was it was a culture shock. Yeah. And it right, wasn't right. even the people. I, I just saw a tree and grass for the first time in my life. Like legit full bloom. I, my mind was completely blown. And I, I didn't know how to interact with people. I, I It was just so awkward for me coming from an environment that was really segregated into an all-white environment. It, it I, Yeah, I, I, I don't even know how to explain that. No, yeah. Um, I, I got something, you know, like I went to UCSD, mm-hmm. right? And, um, you know, I interact with some white people in high school, but like, uh, we had a few, but I grew up ma- mainly in the the Bay Area, the South Bay. So a lot of Vietnamese, a lot of Filipinos, mm-hmm. some Korean, some some uh, Chinese, some Taiwanese. But then, like, I was exposed to more white people in college as well. But uh, it wasn't all. It was still a lot. It was still UC. So there's still tons of Asians. But it was like the first time I had I saw like a good mix, I guess. But you went to one where it's homogenous huh it's all white people uh i would say it's about a 60 percent and then 20 20 to 30 percent latino and blacks and then asian and then international students yeah okay so you hang with the international students (laughs) (laughs) oh uh, this is so fucked up but i pretty much just hung out with like Asian, black, and Latino people, even at Smith College, man. Oh, so, wow. Because that's your upbringing, last year, right? And we took pictures. It looked like I went to <laughs> uh, an HBC historical black college. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now that I look back, I so, wish I hung out with more white people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Because yeah. personally, it's, acting it's up right, to right you. now is all white people. Uh, <laughs> it's like you have to, you have to open up somehow. Right, yeah, ne- yeah, network a little bit, I guess, oh, right? <laughs> With um, uh, so one thing I was gonna ask is uh, so one thing, uh, okay, so 
I one of, one of the audience members, uh, she was uh, black, mm-hmm. yes. right? Then I spoke to her after the show, and uh, one thing she commented was, uh, you know, she did think about like, okay, in in your show, the one woman show, you talk about growing up from you know from K through twelve in in New York, uh, that journey from you know from Brooklyn to China, taking school in Chinatown. And um, what was interesting is her, she had a perspective like, oh, you kind of, you speak with blackness, Mm -hmm. I guess, sometimes during Mm -hmm. the show. But, but she was aware enough, she was telling me, oh, but she was aware enough, aware enough to think, oh, but that's, that's a product of her upbringing. She's not profiting from blackness. She's expressing authenticity of, of where she grew up. And I thought that was an interesting conversation. Um, like, have you ever come across that? Be like, why you why you talk black? Has, <laughs> has anyone has anyone said that to, said that to you? Uh, pretty much. Okay, so in high school, I guess. Oh my god, I feel like I'm giving away the show, but I was pretty much a loner, so I I pretty much observe everyone around me, and so that's where I picked up the blackness. The yeah, twang yeah. and all that. Observant person. And when I went to yeah. college, I felt like I had to change the way I speak, because some people thought I spoke funny in college. And so, throughout college, I kept practicing speaking with a better enunciation. Even now, pursuing acting, I feel like I have to constantly practice pronouncing words more distinctly so that it doesn't have any twang in it. And as I was doing the show in New York City, some people were like, oh, why are you trying to act black and all that shit? And I'm like, no, that's how people spoke in my school. So that was what I was trying to portray. And so some people were like, how come you cannot speak with your own voice? And I'm like, this is my own voice, but sort of putting on a mask or putting on a layer of what I observed in high school and that's what I'm trying to portray and I'm not trying to act like them I'm just trying to portray the lifestyle that they pretty much carried around and for me personally I feel like that was what I grew up with so I constantly defend that part of the show and some people are like you come in and out of the character how come you just can't stay with that black or that black tone character and I'm just like maybe I'm just being me in one part and when I'm telling the story and it's from their perspective somehow I want to bring that character on and that's when that plan comes on and so I don't see a problem doing it I really don't I, I yeah it's just a way of storytelling yeah because basically you're taking on taking yourself as a role during different parts of your own life uh, is what I got from it. Like you're kind of like playing the elementary school Judy, then the high, the middle school and high school Judy, and then you go on to like yeah Smith College and the current the more contemporary Ju- Judy. Is it is that fair? That's what, what is that kind of what you're doing? I'm mm-hmm. assuming. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like one thing I was one thing I got from your show um, and and Dan like Dan if you get Daniel when you get a chance you should go check it out. Are you playing anytime? Uh, in back in California or New York anytime soon, or we can we can put put it at the end, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, 
I'm planning a New York show soon, either this month or the coming months, because I also have to work for the film festival. So it's either before or after that. And then California, me about bringing it to San Francisco. That's all in the talks right now. So I hope to bring it to San Francisco. I feel like it, it will be a dream come true. So. Uh, and Daniel's in San Diego. Uh, if you ever want to go to San Diego, I would uh, love to go to San Diego, <laughs> Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make it happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what they want to talk about is like in your mm-hmm. show, you talk about space, place, mm-hmm. right, and how it's informed you, and also the people who who inhabit those spaces, yes. right. Um, so I. It's a real sorry. It's it's gonna be a pretty broad question, but like, how do you think New York as a space or a place has like informed you as a person? I mean, there's probably so many different ways, but like, Brooklyn is is where you went. Brooklyn's where you grew up, but then Chinatown's where you went to school. Like, how did those? So I guess part of it is that that twang that you have is part of it. But uh, how about you as your personality? Has that affected you in a in a strong way or? Or do you think you're kind of independent of that? Like, I just want to talk about that real quick. I would say I am never independent of that because New York City gave me so much character. Growing up in a Chinese-American household, I feel like I was always a little bit more timid, especially because I had an older brother. And in the Chinese culture, I always felt like I was second to him. And so I, I was really shy as a kid even elementary school, middle school, I was really, really shy. And even in high school, I was also really, really shy. I was a pretty much a lone wolf. And so it wasn't until going to college that pretty much opened me up as a woman and as a person who actually had a voice and have something to say. And it really made me reflect on my experiences growing up as a Chinese American in New York City. Like, why was I so silent as a kid? And Mm. I think a lot of Chinese kids growing up were just told what to do. And this is a certain path that you have to take. And for me, growing up and really going away for college, I felt like I'm so much more independent and that I can really take my experiences growing up in New York City and just bring a different perspective of stories into the sphere because every time you see an Asian American on TV or on a stage play, either it's about some ancient Chinese times or like in Japan <laughs> or some shit. I'm like, no, we have shit going down in our home base that no one ever fucking talks about. So why don't I just write a story about that? And that's that's where I saw a gap and that's why I wrote that story in the first place yeah I I just I just want to show the world that we're not fucking quiet like we have yeah and we're we're just we're just not nerds you know like fuck that shit (laughs) right I I mean one thing one thing I told you after the show was like we uh was about sure there's a lot of mall and minority shit you know being presented in the mainstream media like oh Asians are really hardworking and uh, they're good at math and they're not gonna steal your woman they're like a they're like you're they're your best friend you know 
And then and no, that and shit, there, that shit is so real too. <laughs> Maybe it's the way our parents conditioned us, like the whole Confucius filial piety and just saving yourself for marriage, or even constantly drilling you to succeed in life. And yeah. I, I don't ever doubt that. It's because they they live a really hard life. Well, especially for people who are from Chinatown. Most of our parents are immigrants. Like they they came to this country because they want us to have a better life, and that's why they work their asses off. And they don't want to see their kids working at a restaurant or freaking working at Best Buy. Like, did I sacrifice my entire life for you to work at Best Buy? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. All that. And I guess the first wave, I always see the Asian American movement in different waves. Like the first wave of people who grew up as second generation Asian Americans in the 80s or 90s, they constantly have to explain that immigrant story over and over again. But in a way, American society saw that as the norm. And so nowadays, if anyone, any Asian American try to write a story that breaks out of that norm like amy tan norm that maxine hong kingston norm then we're not accepted <laughs> into that sphere like they don't see that as a part of the asian american experience because it doesn't fit that goody two-shoe mode ah okay okay speak to the truth speak the truth yeah um daniel did you have anything to add because did you daniel did you grow up in chinatown sort of or not really? i lived in in um la chinatown for a year with my grandmother but that's about it yeah yeah because so. you're mostly in san diego mostly in right? san diego yeah. so a little bit in new york a little bit in la like different parts of la so where in new york were you uh, i was born in in um I, I, my family we had a house in forest hills Oh my God, Queens! Oh wow, Forest Hills is one of the more upper middle class neighborhoods in New York. Yeah, but I I, I couldn't even tell you what it was like back then because I left when I was four, so it's a little bit different. Uh, but uh, Judy, gotcha. you, you mm-hmm. spoke about like the way you pronounce things and stuff like that. It doesn't sound like you have a, a Brooklyn accent at all. Oh, I'm trying really hard to put on that Smith cap right now. <laughs> oh man, no, girl, just let it loose. Let it loose. Oh, no. yeah, just just be yourself. Be yourself. Yeah. <laughs> well, I oh, I can't imagine Smith. The, the accent for um, people from Smith. It, I mean, the Northeastern accent's a little bit different too. I, I always picture Bernie Sanders or like Peter Griffin from like Rhode Island or something like that. <laughs> there's also Brooklyn. There's a Italian. So Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. A lot of Chinese Americans grew up there. So they have the heavy Italian Brooklyn accent that I do not have. Yeah, mm. you've got a little bit of Cantonese accent going on too, though. I noticed. Which sorry, I'm, I'm, we're we're gonna make you feel so super self conscious. Oh, I'm sorry, okay. but like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I I have to speak to that because I did grow up with. Uh, Cantonese. I only spoke Cantonese at home. My parents were like, you, you need to speak Cantonese at home. You need to go to Chinese school to learn Cantonese, read and write in Cantonese, and all that jazz. And so I always spoke dual language uh, languages. Uh, and 
even growing up with other Chinese kids in elementary and middle school, a lot of them really like to watch TVB, which is the Hong Kong cinema, uh, Hong Kong TV show. And I always spoke Cantonese around my friends in school too. So I do have a very strong Canto pride in me. <laughs> oh yeah, yes. yeah. Can't, I mean, come on, Hong Kong movies, like, you forget, like, Hong Kong movies have set the wave, have set the bar for all of Asia, for sure, and, like, yes. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, young and Dangerous, anyone? <laughs> young and Dangerous, uh, I mean, even Wong Kar Wai with the art Ooh. scene, and, um, yeah, it's, no, Hong Kong does some cool stuff. Um, one thing I was going to ask was, like, your, your family, uh, are they middle class? Middle upper, middle lower, like wh where would you classify your family at? Well, I would say middle to working class. Yeah, because okay. you know New York rent is expensive. So whatever money we make from selling those buns, it all goes back to the workers' wages and the rent and just maintaining taxes and those garbage fees. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, people as like, like a really oh you're the boss that kind of thing but if you own a business in new york you know what i'm talking about mm. dan i think daniel probably knows better than i do like because your family daniel your family owns a couple restaurants yeah right yeah now. we we actually owned a restaurant in new york and we sold that before we moved out to la wow i, I couldn't even tell you where it was my, my dad always tells me oh it was the manhattan close to msg but, wow oh my god that's like near k-town yeah i don't think it was mm. near k-town back in the day this was like in the 70s i don't think there were as many koreans back then as there are now damn oh. well msg is still amazing it's all it's an awesome venue and so coming from like the now from the work being working class chinese mm -hmm. Did that put you in con contact with a working class? It sounds like it, like working class of all different races. Yes, yeah? yes, definitely. And yeah. in my high school, I would say 90% of the kids qualified for school lunch, meaning, yeah, working class, definitely. <laughs> and then right now, right but, now as an yeah. artist, I mean, and living in New York, how hard is it? It must be really, really tough to make ends meet. You, you, Oh, yeah, it is so hard. It is very, I, I don't know. Well, right now I'm still with my mom because she never lets me move out. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Chinese, right? Yeah, <laughs> You're yeah. not moving out until you get married, which is never. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if, okay, I, uh, I work at a restaurant three days a week. I make less than 300 bucks, like give or take over the weekend and multiply that by four a week. Ends and that's like a thousand, a thousand two hundred if I'm lucky. And so I'm thinking if you're hustling in New York City, a thousand dollar that's for rent for a room, and you share that with three other people, and then you have to eat, you have to live. I don't know how people do that. I don't know how people who move from the Midwest all the way to New York, I, I really don't know how they survive. And my advice to those artists out there thinking about moving to New York, you better have some money when you move out. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, this is gonna get real personal right now, but yeah, I had holes in my shoes 
in my socks and in my underwear at some point within the last five years. And I'm pretty oh, wow. proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're hustling. You're hustling. Yeah. I mean, just so so you're doing acting now. So if, if I may, so you do like you're, the trajectory of your life is sort of like um, like, you, you know, you know, coming in working, uh, coming up in a working class family, um, uh, gr- growing up in Chinatown, uh, going to school in Chinatown, and then like you like like your one woman show, kind of like how you got into like a semi good high school. Oh no, it was uh, a terrible high school. <laughs> oh, it was a terrible high school. Terrible my bad. Yeah. High school that no one should ever go to. It shut down uh, okay. by the way last uh, September. Oh, what? What was the name of the high school? Bertram High School. Oh, Bertram. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then did you, so basically like, were you interested in acting in high school or were you just mostly like just trying to figure shit out? Oh, so this is, uh, so I was casted as Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz when I was still in pre-K and I still have that video, home video where I was just walking around with Tin Man and all that and I was pulling on my underwear and people started laughing. I was like, oh shit, I love this. And I, like, (laughs) I really, I knew that I wanted to do this. And in middle school, I was introduced to improv. And then in high school, I, I pretty much didn't think about that because I was a fuck up and in high school, I tried really hard to do good. But then, my heart was still in acting and because of a lot of naysayers saying that, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that, aka my mom, while she still says this till this day, I did not do it in college. I instead pursued playwriting and I also pursued politics while still at Smith. And my dream at that time was to become a community organizer because I thought I could change the world. And by the time I got back to New York City, I was jobless. I didn't even get a political internship in DC. Basically, I didn't have shit going on in my life after I graduated at Smith. So I was like, I don't know what to do. The film festival was hiring box office at the time. So I was like, fuck this. I'm going to go do that and earn some money. And so I took acting classes again after college. And I was like, you know what? I think I can still do this. But then I ran out of money and I was like, fuck. And so I had an opportunity to work for a politician in New York City. And I was like, why not? If if I'm not going to be an actor and do something with my life, why not become a politician? So I worked for the politician, Congresswoman Nydia Velazquez, for like six months. And by the third month mark, I knew that my heart wasn't in it. And I was like, I'm not going to do this shit anymore. I'm going to quit my acting dreams. <laughs> and so I did an acting program for a year and a half. And I spent all my money in that. And I had no more money left. And after that program ended, I needed more money to keep taking classes. And so I spent all my money that I made from the congresswoman's office to pay for more acting classes. And I ran out of money again. And then an internship I did while I was still in college, Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund, they were hiring for a voting rights coordinator. And I was like, oh my God, let me earn some money at least for nine months. (laughs) And so I did that nine month gig. I had a bunch of money saved up. I took new headshots. That doesn't make me look like a clown. And then... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and then I, I, I pretty much spent all the money I made from Aldef back to into my acting classes. 
and I was like, fuck everything. I, I was trying to look on backstage, on Playbill for all these roles that people offered. But all that was offered was like prostitutes, massage girl, speak with an accent or nudity required. And I was like, go fuck yourself. Right, right, right. I just used that anger and all that pent up energy. I was like, I think I got a pretty interesting life story. So why don't I just write that shit into a one woman show? And that's exactly, that's how, that's legit how I pretty much landed on that solo show. I was like, nobody's going to give me a chance. And I hate sitting around. I'm a very impatient person. And so I was just like, fuck everyone, fuck everything. I'm just going to do this. Well, it seems like it seems like New York has has like uh, become another place for if you want to get TV gigs because there are a lot of TV shows that are shooting out in New York these days mm-hmm. and casting well, out of I, New York. New York City is very uh, like uh, because they mainly cast the lead roles in LA and then when they come to New York to shoot, they hire the under fives or a day player or a guest or a co-star something short. And you're never on the show full time. Okay. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. One thing I was going to ask. Um, so you're creating your the opportunity for yourself because you're not seeing it out there, right? Um, how long had did it take you to develop uh, the one your one woman show? I started writing it in January 2014. Yeah. That's when I started writing the. Uh, I did the solo show workshop with Seth Barish at the Barrow Group. That's where I've been studying acting. And after that class ended, I pretty much wrote a draft and I submitted to the Fringe Festival. It's a huge thing in New York City. It's a theater festival in the summer. And I was like, I'm going to get in. I'm going to tell my Chinatown story. I got rejected twice. So I was like, oh. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, I I have a good story. And so I was just really, really persistent. And so I stayed with it for about two years. And then I was like, I have a bunch of all deaf money saved up, like $5,000. Let me just go and rent out my school's theater and invite my friends and family and make them pay me. <laughs> <laughs> So I can keep doing this. And that's exactly what I did. I did uh, three previews in May. And I was like, shit, it all got sold. So I was like, let me do this shit for real in August. So I did four more shows in August. And it was all sold out. So I knew that there was demand. And so I made, I would say, like $2,000 from the show in August. And so like I was like, you know what? I feel like I want to do it somewhere else. And I've been going out to LA on and off for the past five years. I was like, I have friends there. They would come and see my show. And so I was just like, you know what? I'm going to spend all my entire life savings and rent out that LA theater. Wow. And And that's exactly what I did. Yeah. And that's the show I saw, I guess. Yes. Wow. That's the story behind the show. Okay. So yeah, and, I didn't make yeah. any money. I lost so much money doing the LA show. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh, maybe I shouldn't have taken the discount. My bad. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, what's the struggle when you want to do live theater nowadays? Because you're 
Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Why don't I just stay home and watch Netflix? Why do I have to come and drive all the way out to your show and watch your shit? Like, (sighs) MC Jin. LA is is tough. (laughs) LA is tough, though. Yeah, LA is tough, yeah. Yeah, there are more theaters in LA, like actual theaters, than New York. But the support for the LA theater scene is not as good as New York. Yeah, uh... Uh, Dan's wife, Jen, she she runs a, a group called Chalk Repertory Theater, and they do some really cool, interesting stuff. They do like uh, plays in like museums. They do uh, in churches, um, and like I saw one of uh, uh, of Dan's wife's uh, plays, and she put like Weezer music in it. It was it's, it's some dope stuff, but what? Yeah, yeah, like she put like Weezer, and like it was dope, but like. The audience's size was like you know, okay. Like I'm, I'm yeah. It's uh, but for the last one I went to was it was it was pretty packed. But um, so uh, w- one thing I was gonna ask was how how'd you meet MC Jin? <laughs> oh man, um, I I met him I I believe once during a collaboration New York event because I pre-ordered his CD. I'm a huge fan of his since high school and then uh, back when he was doing TVB stuff, I guess still doing. And then I was trying to come up with a person who can work with me to make the show better. And so I just stalked him on the internet and I saw that he was doing a a stand-up comedy show out at Gotham Comedy Club. Oh, what? Okay out my script no i legit did that. i printed out my script i waited for him to come out after his gig and i was like jen i emailed you and here's the thing and he's like yeah i saw your email and he was like i'm gonna read this i'm gonna spend a lot of time reading this so just give me a few days and he read it he emailed me back we met at my mom's bakery he was like oh i love it like i saw a lot of he could relate to a lot of it and so he agreed and so we worked on the show and the rest is history wow (laughs) this is history (laughs) how long did you guys like so he sort of kind of directed you as an actor then um how long was that process uh did you guys take a couple weeks or yes i i pretty much worked out the show on my own first before I presented it because we didn't actually have a lot of time together. And so when I did the entire show for him, he just gave a lot of notes in terms of performance because as an actor, I was really, really nervous and I rushed through a lot of parts. And he was just like, as a performer, you have to learn how to take beats within your show and create this rhythm within your show. Like you can breeze through all the unimportant stuff and just stop or take a pause when there is an important part in your story. Right. And a lot of the stuff we went through actually, or the bit parts that we went through got cut in the version that you saw in LA because Uh, of time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, um, that note really stuck with me and I continue to work on it on my own. And aside from MC Jin, uh, Ronnie Cheng from The Daily Show, he actually came to my very first preview in May 
And after he saw the show, we just sat down at a restaurant the day after. He was like, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to do this one-hour comedy special. And we just <laughs> sat down outlined the entire show. And he, he really, really helped me in terms of clarifying it. And the last person who really, really helped me shape the show was my brother. Because he was like, I love you to death, but you really have to focus your show. And so these three men are the key people who really, really shape the show to what you saw during L.A. That's awesome. And that's... Yeah. That's great because it's going back to that thing about community I was talking about. It's like um, these three people from the Asian American community are helping you out and supporting you. Like, I can't, I don't know. It makes me wonder, like, but you know, like when there's opportunities or people who are coming up, I think it's important to help those that are that because, like, no one's going to give us a handout, right? We -hmm. have to like create opportunities for ourselves. And, so yeah, I mean, there's there's some okay. This is me, you know, be a little racist, but like there are some white people that have helped me out along the way for sure, right? Um, mm-hmm. However, I've I've really I don't know. It's it was only and tell me if you feel the same way. It's it was only in like an Asian American artist space where I felt like really supported or felt really connected with that community because it's kind of like they talk about. Um, lived experience right like asian american lived experience there's something that you can't replace that like like hey i get you right like i I know where you're coming from there's something that uh from that specific experience that really connects to other asian americans i think i think basically to make it to the mainstream is from the specific i think other people can connect with that too right kind of like with um i mean even with like moonlight right moonlight's like a black florida story about gay a gay man growing up in florida it's so specific right but it still translates across barriers um and i don't know uh, does does that make sense sorry i'm kind of rambling but yeah yeah oh no no definitely makes sense and to be honest james yeah i do see a lot of blacks or african-americans supporting each other like they go out and they spend real money yeah to yeah. see you but for Asian Americans, I've been in the community long enough, and I say that people come out and support you. They do. But in terms of really putting out money and real dollars to really support and get your project going, I don't really see it from our community. Ah. That's why we haven't had someone or, or a film like Moonlight happen. Right. Better I mean, luck tomorrow was the exception, but that was like 15 years ago. <laughs> that, literally 15 years ago, we watched the premiere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, we uh, the, the, um, the L.A. Pacific. Uh, uh, they re they re premiered it. So, um, I mean, Dan, do you want to chime in on that? Uh, not on that. Well, uh, that's that's always like a a weird sticking point with the Asian American community. There is like. I mean, in, in L.A., at least there's East-West players. I don't know if there's anything like that in New York or something east there's of the Mississippi. There's Theater. Uh-huh. And then also the National Asian American Theater Company, NACO, and who else? Yeah, Omai Theater is also in New York. Have you have you hooked up with any of those three, three or four theaters? Uh, I did an internship 
or a freelance gig with Pan Asian Repertory Theater, and I did uh-huh. study an acting class there too. But uh, it all it all goes back to what kind of stories they want to tell and what kind of stories I want to tell, and ah. they want to tell stories that attract the white audience about ancient Chinese Japanese people. <laughs> Kid, no, if you keep doing shows like that, then we'll always be in that bubble, you know? And I just want to pop that bubble so bad. Like, that, it, it just kills me inside. So they're promoting the stereotype more than just trying to break that stereotype. I, I don't even know if we can call it a stereotype, just because it is a story inspired by that time. And that goes back to the time and place and where you want to present it. And now I believe Asian Americans have a space on Theater Row. It's on 42nd Street and around 10th Ave, where we are closer to Broadway than we've ever been. And so maybe that's why they're going back to those stories. That's disappointing. See something new. Yeah, because like at least. With East West players, they do a lot of different things. Since this is like the largest one in west of the Mississippi, they mm-hmm. do workshops for new playwrights and things like that, and they do acting classes. But the most important thing is like the sh- most of the shows that they present are more or less reimaginings of known plays, some new ones, but mostly like older plays or musicals with only Asian American actors. So it's not necessarily things that are set in ancient China or something like that. They might do um, I forget what the the one that um, the Birdcage that that movie is based off of, like Cage of Full, where they just have Asian American actors playing those parts that are traditionally done with white actors. Mm. I see. I don't so, know. Maybe I'm a bit salty. I reached out to them a few times and they never got back to me uh, about being a partner. Oh snap! <laughs> you salty, salty girl. All right. Um, with hey. East West players, it's a little bit different. It, I. I you know, my wife has has had some uh, connections there, and once you come out here, and they, I don't think they do too many original stuff, um, but they will, they will like look at, um, they they primarily cast Asian Americans. I don't think there was one show where they didn't cast an Asian American, like a non Asian American for any of the roles. So it, it's a way to showcase your acting talents, not necessarily like. Um, they they might like help you with your your writing in their playwriting workshops because I know a couple of people who did that, and they might do if you have like your one woman show and as part of like their playwriting group or whatever, they might help you do a reading and just to help you out and they'll pair you up with a director to make sure your reading comes off a little bit more polished or you know or polish it up um, if you if it's like starting off from a, a rough draft. But it sounds like you've already done most of the work. You've already had three people who helped you out and, and shape your show. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if there's anything like that in New York City. It sounds like every, everyone, because, because there are like four different theater, Asian American theater groups, um, maybe that they're all vying for the same sort of uh, audience versus like East West Players only is like the only shop in town. 
I didn't go through that route. I just went to my acting school because my acting teacher, Seth Barish, he's known for working with solo show artists. And so mm-hmm. I learned uh, storytelling basics through him. And I pretty much just followed whatever he taught and just wrote everything. Mm-hmm. And I think what you did is actually better because rather than focusing on the Asian American experience is basically an American experience and you shouldn't limit yourself to like just Asian American audience members. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do believe my show can touch anybody who, uh, no matter your race, your creed or whatever you look like, because I, I don't know if you've spoken with James about it. It's just about a kid growing up in a fucked up place in a fucked up time and with a fucked up family. And I think... <laughs> A lot of people can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing I want to talk about real quick was at Smith. Is it true you started your own Asian American studies major? Yes, I did. Damn. I did. Okay, okay. Snap, snap for that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't start a program <laughs> or whatnot. Like, uh, I so I went to Smith, and it was part of the five college consortium where it's UMass Amherst, Amherst College, Mount Holyoke, Hampshire, and Smith. And they have a five college APA studies program, but it's just a certificate. So it's sort of like a minor. (laughs) And at that time, I was trying to do sociology and government. But then I was like, you know what? Fuck the American government. I don't (laughs) care about your shit. And so I was like, I really want to learn about Asian American history and the impact on us as human beings in living in this country. And so by the end of sophomore year, I was following a blog called Angry Asian Man. Yes. And I was just reading his blog and I was just getting all fired up every single day. And I was like, I need to do something about this. And I was pretty much failing all my classes because I didn't give a shit about it. Haha, <laughs> repeat of my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, so I went to the dean and she was like, if you really want to do this, you'll have to sign all these forms. You have to create a proposal. You have to get all these sign-offs and write this essay, get letters of recommendation. Basically, you have to run through hoops just to get your major design and after you get a design you have to write a thesis you have to defend it in front of people and i was pretty artsy so i was like i'm gonna write a play like a short play and i'm also gonna write a paper about why apa activism is still important nowadays and how now it transformed into this youtube activism thing and i cited a lot of youtube stars because in 2011 that's when a lot of them came up right right. and that's YouTube was the biggest and I I linked them with Asian American history in the past and I was also interested in law so I did a lot of research around that and yeah I I guess I always I didn't like living within a system like I didn't want to live with any limitations and I always just want to do my own thing and maybe that's just a part of me that I really want to put out there Mm. That's yeah. that's dope because I think just based on that, it seems that 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 drive to create the opportunity uh, at school where the, you know like fuck the fuck learning about white people more and more. Let's learn about <laughs> some let's learn about some Asian people too. Why not? You know, and then yeah. and then also 
what you talk about is like a black and white, black and white. I'm like, hello, there's a Latino in this class and there's me. Like, why don't you talk about us? Yeah. Like, don't talk about us. I'm like, go oh, fuck yourself. Right. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. okay. Um, cool. We just hit the hour. Um, let's see here. Oh, um, Dan, Dan, is there, sorry, was there any question you want to add? No, no, uh, no, nothing specific. Yeah. Now, okay, so, uh, before, I, I just had like a, maybe a few more questions, then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, okay, uh, yo, so growing up um, with these different communities, with Puerto Ricans, Blacks, uh, Latinos, and uh, Chinese, uh, so... Okay, so one thing we talk about this show a little bit is like dating a little bit, right? Relationships and stuff like that. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> so, so, do you personally have a preference when you date as far as different racial groups or you're like whatevers? Uh, let's just say I like Asian men. <laughs> wow, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yes, I love me some Asian men. So like, I, find, I find Spanish men sexy. I have to say that. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, but I, I don't think it will fly with my mom. <laughs> ah. Yes. So you got, okay, yeah, it's interesting because with, with Asian American studies, like, no, they talk about sexuality, masculinity and stuff. And, um... It's interesting, like the different racial dynamics people project on other races, you know, and like, yeah, Asian men for some reason don't get that much love, but that's weird, mm -hmm. yeah. But that's kind of, I think that's, do you think that's changing right now, Judy, or? Oh, yeah, it's changing. <laughs> <laughs> With the internet, it's changing rapidly. Now, yeah. now people are all over them Asian men. For sure. Okay. <laughs> that's good news for you, James. Good news for you. Yeah, yeah, it's good for okay. yeah. Oh, uh, okay. I have to put it out there since maybe it's because you're a product of, of your environment. Yeah. I do not find white men attractive. Oh, wow. Or Ouch. I don't have any sexual inklings toward them. Really? Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Isn't that weird for me to say that? Because when I was in LA in an Uber cab, a black ma man who shared it with me, he was cussing me out because I wouldn't give him my number. And he was like, oh, you Asian women only love white men because you're so insecure. What? Like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even like white men. I told him straight up because I was like, I don't want to deal with this shit right now. <laughs> Seriously. Interesting. It's, it's weird out there. Damn. And so he thinks that by cussing you out will make him more appealing. <laughs> yes, and no, that did not work, boo boo. That did not work. Damn. <laughs> yeah, but I like Asian men. Oh, interesting. I think, um, the, uh, yeah, for me, I like I'm I'm trying to date across the board and be open minded. Um, but like so far, the woman that give me the most love, as far because I'm doing online dating right now. The women that give me the most love are Asian women. Um, so I maybe, maybe that's like going back to the being a product of your environment. Uh, maybe that's part of it. Maybe they feel more comfortable with me. Uh, yeah, I date. So I dated some black women, and like one of them was like really into K-pop. So, Ooh. so I don't know what. Yeah. So there might be some fetishization going on there. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Did you tell her you're Chinese? I told her I'm from I was I was from Taiwan. My parents are from Taiwan. She's like, oh, that's cool. And then we started talking about K-pop, so it was all good, you know. <laughs> I I could talk about K-pop a little bit, so yeah, yeah. Um, 
All right. Uh, yeah, Dan, any last questions, man? Uh, yeah, I was curious. Um, how do your fam- How does your family feel about your career choice? Good question. Oh, I was gonna ask. Yeah, I, was- I love this question. Uh, well, no bueno. Not <laughs> <laughs> good. I I guess shit about it every single day, and I learn how to ignore those mean comments or just learn how to overcome it because I know this is what I want and. This is what I what I want to do with my life. I've literally tried every job on the planet aside from being a stripper or a pole dancer. But <laughs> other than that, I think this is pretty much what I want to do. And I don't care if I have to work at a restaurant being on my feet the entire day because by the time I come home, I realize that I can do acting. And I think that's all that matters. So, so that's good. I, I, sorry, are both parents in the picture? Sorry, this is personal. Are both parents in the picture, or? Uh well, my mom is the one that's super negative about it. My dad knows about it. Well, he's not really in the picture anymore. I wouldn't say, but um, he is pretty much shocked that I'm doing this for my living because what they imagine is for us to get a nine to five job white collar something where you have to sit in an office with the ac blowing on your face the entire day yeah and i'm i lived through that i fucking hate that shit don't make me go there again yeah i I just don't want to do anything like that no that shit is like soul crushing yeah i've done something similar and it's just like i remember i would remember telling i remember trying to trick myself to like it and it was like I was like, oh no, James, you have money, you can, you know, and you're, and I just, I just, I, just, I knew I had to stop lying to myself. I, it's just, and that's why I'm pursuing my master's now and we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, I mean, so hey, Judy, like props to you for being like a trailblazer in your, in your own right and for being a trailblazer for other Asian and Asian American women too. Cause like, I think a lot of Asian American, I want my friend I brought, she's a, she's, she's a, a woman from China, uh, a little bit younger than you. And she was like, she really, she was really feeling your show. So I think, um, cause I think now nah, they, especially like the specific female experiences that you share, they totally could like, I was like, I told, I told my friend, my told, I told my female friend after, like, damn, you, you ladies have it hard, like, cause you talk about your first sexual experience. I'm like, okay, okay, all right. <laughs> Sorry, spoiler, spoiler, yeah, yeah. Spoiler, spoiler. <laughs> I don't think that's a spoiler so much as like that's a tr- a teaser. Teaser, te- oh, oh, tease, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so what we usually do, Judy, when we wrap it up is we, we, we share like a phrase from our different respective cultures uh, or from different languages. So uh, I guess we'll, Daniel and I will go first to give you an example. Um, so like, uh, I mean, Daniel, do you want to go first? Uh, did you have a phrase you want to share today? Sure. Yeah. Um, my phrase this week or this, this podcast is wabi-sabi. Wabi-sabi is an idea where you have to except the the beauty of imperfection so japanese culture they when they when they make things like out of um, wood or whatever they try to like look at the natural beauty of it and try to enhance it rather than erase it and make everything uniform in some way so just the accepting of of the imperfections of things is is a beauty in itself mm. so wabi sabi 
So so instead of like trying to control and shape it to like, you actually shape it with the nature of whatever you're shaping. Right. Oh. And just like even like ceramics, like not everything has to be perfect because uh, there's some beauty in, in some imperfections because that makes it unique. Hmm. Okay. Cool. Uh, let's see. So uh, the phrase I'm I'm gonna do Taiwanese. So Taiwanese, um, and you probably know this, Judy, is is its own dialect, uh, from, separate from mm -hmm. Mandarin. And uh, yeah. I mean, sometimes I, I switch back and forth. I can speak Mandarin better than I can speak Taiwanese. But I I'm trying to get some. I'm trying to learn more Taiwanese because that was actually probably my first language. Um, and then I forgot it because it's I was I wasn't using it. Um, I mean, one phrase uh, one phrase I used I remember saying it to my grandparents a lot as a wakichito, and wakichito is waki means wo chu I go, chito means uh chu one I'm 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 uh wakichito I'm 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 going or like waki wo chu I guess it's the phrase would be loosely like "wo wo one" in the Mandarin, mm. right? So "waki chito," uh, I'm I'm gonna go go play, you know, and I don't know that phrase. Kind of rem I remember that it's something I would say. I don't know. It makes me think of my childhood a little bit. "Waki chito," it, because I would only speak Taiwanese to like my grandparents, and then and my my parents, you know, my parents. Uh, they wanted. They were. They were afraid that they would. I would. They would mess up my brain speaking all these different languages at home. So they spoke to me. In, it's a shame. They spoke to me in English, right? And mm. um, and my even now I speak. My dad's not comfortable speaking Mandarin to me because uh, that's kind of like the invaders' language, you know? Because <laughs> mm -hmm. Taiwan was taken over by the the the, the Chinese speakers. Um, but he's he's fluent in, at both. But my mom, she studied Chinese, and I speak to her in Mandarin, which is great. Um, but yeah, with my grandparents, their first language was Taiwanese, and and oh yeah, damn, I, I really miss them though. Yeah, so wakichito, yeah. Well, uh, I'm going out to play. This that's what it means. Yeah. Um, yeah, Judy, do you have any phrase that you you kind of used often at home, or like any sort of thing that your mom would call you, or? <laughs> Oh damn! <laughs> uh, I don't think anything like that, but um, I would say "gin tea." Gin it means to persist in Cantonese or to never give up, and that's something that I saw on TVB and something I carry around with me all the time uh, to be persistent. Yes, gin tea. Gin gin Yes. Okay. Wow, that was pretty good. <laughs> oh, thank you. Can can see. Uh, like, do you can you read uh characters at all or not not so much? Yes, I can read and write. No way. Yes. Damn. I got beat as a kid if I didn't know how to read and write. Damn. Okay, you you're taking over the world then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> China, watch out. <laughs> China, watch. You could do your one-man show in Hong Kong. Maybe have you thought about that or? I've been thinking about that a lot lately. <laughs> they'd be like, "Damn, what the hell!" Like, this is this. They they'd be like, "You blow their minds!" Like, real talk, yeah. Oh wow! I was thinking about doing this entire show in Cantonese. That okay? And yeah, yeah. Why not? And then have su have subtitles on the side. <laughs> <laughs> For who? <laughs> Funny. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. All right. Well, hey, Judy, I, I don't want to keep you up too late. Um, thank you so much for your time. Um, we really, I think, yeah, I think definitely this will help a lot of aspiring uh, actors and, and uh, actresses that are coming up in the world and just anyone who's pursuing a dream. Like, let's uh, hopefully we can talk again. That'd be that'd be dope. Yeah. 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 Thank, thank you very much. You. No, this was really fun. Thank you guys for doing this. Awesome. Okay. Well, this is um, this is uh, uh, yeah, uh, this. <laughs> I almost said you're uh, Dan. I, uh, this is uh, <laughs> Young, aka James, signing off. This is Yin, aka Dan, signing off. Until next time. Until next time. And then Judy, you want to sign off real quick? Yes, Judy from Brooklyn, signing off. Oh yeah. Good night, All right. Good night. Okay. Good night. Good night. Relationships getting you down. Yeah, and young, racism.